Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons and today I am by myself. Uh, if you've seen the title of this podcast, you already know what our topic is. It is Marriage is Hard. And let me just say as we start today that it's not hard. Uh, there are so many great things that come from marriage. The relationship that you have, the memories that you make and enjoy together, and those can't be taken from us. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to have someone in your life with you that, that loves you just the way that you love them. It, it's a gift and it's very special and it's not hard. It's a beautiful thing, but I am not changing my title. It is hard. And I want to try to share with you why it's hard. And I want to share with you the things that we can do to defend our marriages and, and to live in a way that uh, shows our spouse every day how important they are to us. Um, and please understand, as I give some of this to you, that it is uh, a walk in practice, uh, something I'm learning myself uh, and trying to become better at each and every day. So mar marriage is hard. In Genesis chapter 1, as God creates the heavens and the earth, he looks at his creation and he sees that it's good. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that the Lord saw that it was good. So for the first time, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, we're told, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And I've looked at that verse obviously my whole life, and a lot of things come to mind as God sees that it's not good that man should be alone. He's going to make a helper for him, someone who can stand beside him and compliment all that he is. But as I've gotten older, I see that God saw a deficiency in man. Uh, something is lacking not only in man's life, but also in God's plan of redemption, God's plan to show us what relationship is and in all that love is and all that love can be. Mankind needed to know personally what it means to love, not just the people you're born to live with, but someone that you choose, a person that you fall in love with and that you decide to be with for the rest of your life. And on top of all that, a person that you have to find a way to get them to agree with you that they would say to you publicly, yes, I love you, and I want to marry you. What a statement, what a moment of time in your life. When you get down on your knee and you ask someone for their hand in marriage, and they say yes, that they agree with you. It's better that we finish this out together. What an amazing thing that is. The Lord uses marriage throughout the Old Testament to describe his relationship to his own people, Israel, and too many times it is seen as something that is not good. There was a covenant made, just like we make in our marriage. In Exodus 24 and verse 6, Moses took half the blood, he put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So in Exodus 24, God makes a covenant with the people. He shares his statutes uh, and his commandments with them. They hear them. They know that they're right. They know that they are good. And they say, We will do everything God has commanded. We will be obedient. And Moses tells them, Okay, you are entering into a covenant with God. But the people failed in the covenant, uh, at least across the span of time, that there were times when they were faithful, when they were everything they should be to God. 
But in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 2, the Lord tells Jeremiah, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. God recalls through Jeremiah that there was a time in their youth as the wife of the Lord, of the living God, the love they had in their youth and how they did, how they longed for God and longed to be with God. And, and he, with them, it, it was the same. The relationship was mutual and it was a beautiful thing. But they continued to spiral down and away from the Lord as time went on. In Ezekiel 16 and verse 6, God again, again recalls the beginning of their relationship. He says in Ezekiel 16:6, When I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, you matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. So it's a marriage relationship. And as that chapter progresses in Ezekiel 16, eventually, in verse 32, he says, You are an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. And so the only way that we can understand what he's saying to this people, you know, God, the creator, speaking to a people and the love and the relationship that they should have had and enjoyed throughout those generations. The only way that's going to make sense to everyday man is to tie it to marriage. He says, you're an adulterous wife. OK, they're going to know what that means. If, if their wife was an adulterous wife, they would know how much that hurt, how painful that was especially if they were faithful to that wife, which obviously he was. I want to say, as we go through this, and I speak to you today as a man who is married. And I speak to you today from a man's perspective, looking at all of this through God's instruction. So first of all, marriage is not hard because I've chosen a wife who's agreed to take my hand and walk through this life with me. That's a beautiful thing. I've done the same for her. What a blessing that is. It's not hard. Gentlemen, please hear me. It is not hard. Tell her you love her. Mean what you say. And follow through with all of your actions toward her that show the same thing. You love her. She needs to hear it. Too many men today, I think, you know, they, they go to the altar, the preacher standing there, and they and he says, do you love this woman? And he says, ah, oh, yes, I do. And he thinks that's it. You know, he doesn't have to say it again. Yes, you do. Many times the wife will ask the husband, do you love me? And, you know, for a guy, it's confusing. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm here. We're still together. I, you know, I, I told you when we got married, I loved you. Why do you want me to say it every day? She needs to hear it. Say it to her. Tell her you love her. Surprise her with your message from time to time. Be creative. You know, for men, it's, it's frustrating for me because men, when they were trying to get her to fall in love with them, they were very creative. They thought of all kinds of ways. I mean, they even put on deodorant, comb their hair, put on their nice clothes. Somehow after marriage, all that just falls away for the man and he thinks it's all just understood. And that's not fair to her. Tell her, do things that show 
that you love her. She needs to hear it. And on top of all of that, you know, just going through this and thinking it through, marriage is hard. Even if, even if I, as a man and a husband, decided I was going to do this and, and I decided to do it perfectly, marriage is still hard. It's very hard because of the unpredictable future that lies ahead. Neither one of us knows what tomorrow's going to bring. And yet we've promised each other that we will be there until the very end of our lives. That's scary. Because you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's coming for her. You don't know what's coming for you. And yet you said, no matter what, I'm going to stand by your side. We will see this through to the end. I love you. Listen to these wedding vows and tell me what you think of these words and what marriage should be. This is what people say to each other during a marriage ceremony, the wedding. I take you to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold you to honor you, to treasure you, to be at your side in sorrow and in joy, in good times and in the bad. I will love and cherish you always. I promise you this from my heart for all the days of my life, as long as we both shall live. Are you serious? Can you possibly mean all of that? As a young man at you know, 20, 25 years old, standing in front of your beautiful bride, do you really mean that? You're going to be by her side in sorrow? You're going to be by her side in the bad times? You will love and cherish her always? That, that language is so unbelievably heavy. And, and because the day of our wedding, when we say it, you know, we have stars in our eyes. We're just overcome with joy. Our whole family's there. We've got these great hopes of all that marriage will be. And so we say, yeah, in sickness and in health, or for rich or for poor, for better or for worse. You know, absolutely, I'll be there. You can count on me, babe. And then guess what happens next? It starts to unfold. Not instantly, one day at a time. One moment at a time, it starts to unfold. And we're going to find out if you meant what you said. That is hard. That is hard. Life changes. Time changes things. We change. We get older. We look different than we did on the day that we promised these things. And yet we promise till the end, I'm going to see it through. You see, the reality of marriage is you, you make a promise, but you don't get to choose how this ends. Your job is to keep the promise. And that is the great challenge of marriage. That's why marriage is hard because you don't get to choose. I want to share an example with you that has always stood out to me and, and, and means everything to me. My wife's mother, my mother-in-law, uh, made her promise to her husband many, many years ago, as so many of us do. And her husband, uh, later in life, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so life takes a, a serious and terribly sharp turn. You have plans. You had plans. There was a plan for retirement. There was a plan for your grandchildren, the time you'd spend with them, and the way that you would watch them grow up and celebrate their birthdays together as a married couple. But now you're told because of some medical condition that that is no longer on the agenda. One of you will quickly begin to fall apart ultimately. And that, that's what we saw. And so the one who still has the presence of mind has to make a choice. 
not just to look back on the day of marriage and say, well, I promised. It's not that. It's, it's making a choice every moment of every day. This is who I am, and this is what I will do. I will not leave you nor forsake you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and in health. Those words now begin to mean something that you had no idea were coming. But I use my wife's mom as an example because she did exactly what she promised she would do. She saw it through to the last day. She stood by his side. She was everything he needed her to be in every given moment. Now, that's not easy to do. There were moments of frustration. There were moments of difficulty. Great challenges were befalling them that it's impossible just to say, well, you know, every moment was handled perfectly. Of course not. We're still talking about life. But she saw it through to the end, and she kept her word. Those vows took on life. It took on a personality. It started to mean something now when the hard times began. And so, like I said, it's just it's a perfect example of what these vows mean and how we should determine, you know, not, don't wait for that moment to come. Determine now. If you're listening to this, think through, think through this now and say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do better. I'm going to grow in this. I'm going to become a better person in this regard because these things do come. And when they do, it won't be time for me to decide whether or not I'm going to be a good husband or not. It will have already been decided. And every day I've worked to do that in a better way and to be there for my wife in the way that she needs me. What I'd like to do with the time that we have is I'd like to look at Ephesians chapter 5 because we need God's instruction and we need to apply that to our lives because this is the common sense gospel. And in this podcast, our goal each and every time that we offer one of these is to look at God's word and say, okay, here's the common sense application. So in Ephesians 5 and verse 22, this is the passage that begins to center around and deal with the relationship between a husband and a wife. Ephesians 5 and verse 22, Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will speak to the wives first. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, this is a mouthful, no matter what age or generation you live in, but I think especially now, when it just is unheard of that, that a woman would submit to any man, any man, anywhere, anytime. That is not the deal, no longer. And yet God's word doesn't change. His word's eternally true. This is what he requires for the wife who has said yes to her husband when he proposed marriage to her. She said yes, and so she understands this. He says to the wife, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Very difficult. The first reason I can think of that it's difficult is your husband's not the Lord. Your husband sometimes makes mistakes. He falls flat on his face. He doesn't know where you are going or how to get there. And that is clear by the look on his face and the tone of his voice. He doesn't know what to do. And yet the Bible verse is still there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what, what's happening there? Well, this is a subjection that takes place within a marriage. She understands her role and her place in that marriage, that he loves her. And, and don't forget, wives, he's got some commandments, too, that are going to be hard for him to fulfill. So, so both of you, it's not just that, 
well, he's in charge and you do what he says. No, submit to him as you would to the Lord. Why? Because it's pleasing to God. Paul goes on to say, by inspiration, that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And so how is Christ the head of the church? Well, he loves the church. He will never abandon or leave the church. That's the promise that's given to us. He died on the cross for his church. He's not going anywhere. He loves you. And so this is who the man is. Can she subject herself to such a one who loves her so much that he would die for her? She should be able to. As Paul concludes that in verse 24, therefore be subject to your own husbands in everything. And again, it's, it's hard because you watch him and he's, he's not very smart sometimes. He, he does things that even he knows won't go well, and he does them anyways. And, and you're forced to sit and watch that unfold, and you think, okay, the Lord wants me to submit to this guy. But he does, and there's something there in marriage that as we do these things, something plays out that helps us understand who God is and helps us to learn how to be patient and to simply just follow the instruction that's been given to me. Let it play out. Let it serve the purpose that God has intended. He knows more than we do. He's greater than we are, and he wants us to see something there. So be subject to your own husbands in everything. And don't worry, wives. God does not let men off the hook. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So the, the heavy charge to the husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Not by putting a mink coat on her, not by giving her a credit card, not by telling he loved her just at the altar and, and that's the only time he's ever brought it up. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And the best way I've ever heard it said is that a husband has to go into, the, into his wife's world and die there. That's exactly what Jesus did for his church. He stepped into our world and he died here for us. So husbands, get to it. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Die for her. And I'm not talking about the romanticizing idea of, you know, that great moment when you're both being held up at gunpoint and you decide to finally be a good husband and die for her. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about every moment of every day that you step into her world and you die there. And so now the challenge is there. It is listening to her. It's turning off the television because she wants to say something to you. You love her. She's your wife. You'll die for her. Turn off the stupid television. Give her your attention. Let her know that you care. Many times, our beloved wives just need someone to hear them out. Let her say what she needs to say to someone she trusts. It is a blessed gift. And you have it, and you can give it to her. So make sure you set time aside to listen to what she has to say. Engage in those conversations. That's hard to do. Because you're coming home from work and you've had a hard day too. you got things going on as well. And yet you're supposed to die for her. So the challenge will always be there. And it will always be a high charge 
for each and every one of us who is trying to love our wife. Paul says that Christ also sanctifies and washes her by the word. So again, men, that's a challenge for us, that we would sanctify our wives and wash them by the word. This continual washing and cleansing. That a husband has the foresight, the ability, the wisdom to be in God's word, to read God's word, and to say, that's amazing. I'm going to share that with my wife. Come to her each day that you can and say, you know, I was reading a Bible verse, and this is what it said, and this is what I think about that. Wash her and cleanse her. Sanctify her by the washing of the word. It is the power of God unto salvation. And it's supposed to be right in the front of our minds and in our hearts. And who knows that better about you, husbands, than your wife? So your wife can look at you just because she knows who you are. She sees you every day. And she knows whether or not you're reading the Bible. She knows how often you reference it. She knows how often you use it to help guide those who ask you for advice. She opens a lot of doors for us that we can't close. She knows who we are, and she knows if we know the Word of God. And she knows if we're using it to guide our own lives. Paul goes on to say, love your wife as you love your own body. (laughs) He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hated his own flesh. Love your wife as you love your own body. So for us, for men, we have to think, well, do I love my own body? Well, look at it this way. You get up probably every morning if you've got a facial hair that grows at any, any pace at all. You get up every morning and you look at that dreadful face of yours and you see that you have to shave once again. Do, do you yell at your face? You know, do, do you look at yourself and say, I shaved you yesterday and here you are again asking for help. I have to keep doing this. I'm sick and tired. No, we don't do that. We see that we need to shave and we love our own bodies. So we shave. So that we look presentable. When you get hungry, another great example for us men. When you get hungry, do you yell at your stomach? Do you you get angry? Do you scowl? And you think, man, I am so sick of putting food in you. All you do is want, want, want. You need more, more, more. There's no man in the history of the world that's ever done that. When men get hungry, you know what they do? They think about where they could go to fill that stomach of theirs. I can get Mexican food. I can get Italian food. Uh, I, I can get a sandwich from Jersey Mike Subs. Man, they make some good sandwiches. I'm getting hungry right now thinking about it, and I'm not angry about it. You know why? Because I love myself. Love your wife as you love yourself. So when your wife comes to you and says, hey, I need this, do you mind swinging by the store? Do you mind painting this part of the house that needs attention? That we don't scowl and growl at her. I just painted that two years ago and I don't, I don't know why I have to do this. Why am I the guy? You know, calm down, tough guy. Find out who you are by responding to her in the way that you're supposed to. If you love her, then you're proving that you love yourself. Why? How can that be? Because God has given you a helper who is comparable to you, who is there to fill all the missing parts that you can't provide on your own. And when we learn this lesson as we should, when we say to her, yes, honey, I I will be glad to do that. Not only am I glad to do it, I'm glad you asked me. Because the reality is there are other men, and please understand, there are other men who are looking at your wife who are thinking things they should not think. And they will gladly replace you and be the hero that she needs you to be. 
And so it's a challenge for us to put our own selfish thoughts aside and say, you know what, I need to serve my wife. I need to be here. I need her to know that I love her because that builds a relationship and that builds trust and it makes it impossible for her when some other scoundrel shows up and says, hey, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Your husband's not good for you. I can do all the things he can't do that she would say to him in an instant, go away, you filthy, filthy person. Nothing gets between me and my husband. How can she know that? Because you love her and you've shown it. You've died for her each and every day in your marriage the way that you should. It's a defense. Trust is there. God has instilled it in the relationship so that she has the equipment she needs to tell any scumbag who shows up, go away. And you may never know about that. You know, you will, you may never know that she had to do that one time. Or she saw somebody that was saying things they shouldn't or getting too close to her. And she said, look, I'm not comfortable with this. And she never, she never told you that. Why? Because you would just be upset if she did. But she told them or she changed direction to make sure this individual knew there ain't no, no shot. You and I have no business together. And those things happen because you are doing your part as a husband and as a man. That's a beautiful thing. Ephesians 5 and verse 33, the, the last verse, says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, when the Bible talks about husband and wives, the husband is reminded over and over and over again, you can look it up, love your wife. And, and we don't see that commandment given to the wife. There's, there's one place in Titus where it says that the older women should teach younger women to love their husbands. And it really is more of filio to, to, to love, appreciate, to enjoy the camaraderie with their husbands. But, but this love agape, this uh, sacrificial love is constantly given to the husband and not the wife. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Husbands are commanded to love their wives and the wife is commanded to respect her husband. And I think that's interesting as well because the wife needs, she doesn't need to be taught or commanded to love her husband. She's wired that way. That's who she is. She loves deeply. There's a great pathos and passion within her that, that man has trouble dis understanding and discerning. But she is commanded to respect her husband. So, so there's a language that she's not real comfortable with speaking, and yet it's the door that opens his heart and his mind and, and everything about him. If a wife can come to her husband and say, you know, I've been watching you this last week or two. I've been watching how you handle the kids. I've been watching you know, how you're behaving at work or whatever it is that she's noticed on her own. And she says, I, I have a lot of respect for you because of the way you handled that. Boy, you are talking his language now. Men live and thrive on respect. So, so if you can find something, and I'm not, wives, I'm not saying lie to your husbands, <laughs> but, but find that place where he, he deserves respect. He's, he's actually done a really good job and it turned out great, you know, and, and tell him, I respect you for this. This is important. And, uh, and you saw it through, you did the right thing concerning this and, and you deserve respect for that. That, that. When you speak that language, that now you're speaking something that he understands and that conversation will flow from there. You're commanded to respect him. He's commanded to love you. And when those both are working as they should, the relationship will grow in strength and in longevity, endurance. 
you'll make it through those times that you promised to make it through on the day of your wedding. One other thing I think has to be mentioned here, just as I've looked at marriage and the challenges that are found there. Proverbs 7, Solomon warns his son not not to keep company with the immoral woman, that he should keep away from the immoral woman. Uh, and, And Solomon says, because she flatters with her enticing speech. She catches the young and simple man and she kisses him and she tells him, I came to meet you and now I found you. And this simple young man, he, he is done for. He's toast. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> this woman with enticing speech has come to him and says, I've been looking every free, everywhere for you, and now I found you. The Bible says with her enticing speech, she causes him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. In Proverbs 7 and verse 22, it says, Immediately when after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of stocks, he did not know it would cost him his life. That imagery there is very important for us. As he has succumbed to this enticing speech, her words drip like honey, that he goes after her. And, and, and God is God's watching this. He says, like an ox goes to the slaughter. So, you know, this guy's thinking, man, today's my lucky day. And the Lord says, no, you're going to your own death. That's what he sees. Or as a fool to the correction of stocks. This is a fool who's going to have stocks put on his hands and his feet because he doesn't know where this will lead him. He doesn't know it's going to cost him his life. And what I've realized about marriage is that this big dumb ox, if he goes after her, this woman with enticing, enticing speech, the adulterous woman, if he goes after her, then he's just going to the slaughter. That's an excellent description of man because even if he refuses the seductress and goes home to his wife, he's still a big dumb ox. He just went home where he belongs and not to the slaughter. Congratulations. You, know, you, you, you made the right decision there, guy. I think the problem with men is that we, we are very much like the ox. We, we work hard every day. We do the things we have to do, and, and we kind of get this narrow tunnel vision. Everything's just like it's supposed to be, so I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm, I'm sure my wife's doing what she's supposed to do. And it's the behavior of an ox. You know, just, I'm just going to do my job. But, but men have the great challenge of kind of opening their minds, opening their heart and saying, no, no, there's a lot more going on here than just that. Did I come home to my wife today? Yes. Well, I don't need to be congratulated for that. I'm supposed to love her. I'm supposed to die for her. I don't want to be the ox. I want to be the one who is intelligent, who has perception about him, who can see the things that his wife needs and, and, and what, what she might be asking for in the upcoming days and weeks that, that you're already thinking about providing that for her. You know, get, get out of the situation of being an ox who just simply came home. Be the one who, whose heart and mind and thoughts are devoted to your beloved. God tells us as husband and wives, love each other. I mean, think about what that means, especially long term. Love each other. Uh, work through that. Develop that. See what that means. See what that turns into. Love her with all of your heart. Love him with everything that you have. Think about your beloved. Stop thinking about other people. You know, we say that we marry our husband and our wife forsaking all others. It's, it's not to their detriment, not to the ones we forsake, not to their detriment, but for the benefit of the one that we've forsaken everyone else for. Think about them. Spend time thinking about them. My wife 
as the clock on the wall, as I look at the clock on the wall, my wife is at work today and she's doing a job that she loves and she cares about the people that she's with and she pours her heart and soul into that. I need to be thinking about that because I'll see her soon if God wills. And I need to talk to her in a way that shows her I love her. Think of ways, not just thinking about them, but think of ways that you can show them how much they mean to you. And that's a very important step for us as well. How can I show my beloved how much she means to me? Well, I need to work that out. I need to figure that out. I need to get to it. And I've realized as well, that the longer you've been together, the easier that all of this should be. First of all, she's put up with you this long. She's put up with everything that I've done, everything I've said that I shouldn't have said or done. She accepts me for who I am each and every day. She certainly wants to see me do better and to be better. But she knows who I am and she knows what I'm working with. So she's patient. She loves me and I love her. She doesn't hold all of my failures over my head. Because love can't grow there. You know, trust and dependence can't grow there if if all of my failures are constantly held over my head and she brings them up all the time. How can we move forward if that's what she's doing? And she doesn't. She deserves everything from me. To my beloved wife, Karen, I love you more than you will ever know. I will try to show you with the time that we have and I will die so that you might live each and every day.